Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Zechariah. I want to turn to the book of Zechariah this morning. Amen. It's uh, usually of... You know, there's certain uh, books or passages in Scripture that have been preached on and preached on. And whenever you get up and start talking about something like Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi, and, you know, people you hear pages rattling and looking at the glossary to find where it is. The second, the last uh, uh, book of the Old Testament, the, the, the book of Zechariah this morning. But I believe the Lord would speak to us today. Amen. Uh, God has such a sense of humor, such a sense of humor. Uh, because the things that I have uh, concentrated on and put my mind to on Thursday and Friday, uh, 4 o'clock this morning, none of that was in the picture. And so here we are in the book of Zechariah today, starting with verse uh, number 1 of chapter 1, and just reading a few verses uh, of Scripture there. The Bible says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of of Idu the prophet saying the Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers therefore say thou unto them thus saith the Lord of hosts turn ye unto me saith the Lord of hosts and I will turn to you saith the Lord of hosts amen for a little while today and we'll understand this better by and by but today I'd like to minister this not forgotten not forgotten amen if you have your bibles you can lay them down but stretch your hands upward right now as we would pray that god would touch us afresh this morning father i come to you god i need you today i pray oh lord move upon my mind god my lips god my heart i pray oh lord today help us just to delve into your word oh lord let it bring comfort and encouragement and strength God, to whoever may be in need of it today, I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, bring our minds together. Let there be a one accordness, God, with your people and with the pulpit and the pew. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, speak to us as you would have, and we'll, Lord, take it, Lord, and apply it, God, appropriately, Father, God, to our lives. I pray, Jesus, we need a fresh word from heaven today, God, a fresh word, Lord Jesus, of direction and guidance, and we'll thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. 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 You may be seated this morning in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You know, whenever we have a tendency uh, to observe things, our observations are limited. Our observation is limited to uh, what we see, limited to what we hear, and uh, many times as you observe something, the further you are away from something, your observation then can only be dependent upon what you can see from that distance or what you can hear from that distance. And oftentimes we only see and hear what is the closest to us. 
We only see and hear what is the nearest to us. I would dare to believe that if there was an officer that were to take and account the witnesses of an accident, that there is going to be some variation between those that were at distance and those that were close distance uh, to where the occurrence happened because uh, you're going to depend upon what you see and hear, what you observe, and for the most part, you're going to observe what is closest, what is right around you. And with that being said, being that our observations is with what is near us or close to us, it is no wonder then that even Old Testament Scripture bears out and New Testament different stories throughout the testaments of people taking an observation about their circumstances of life, taking an observation about where they were and what was happening to them. Uh, unable to see, if you will, the big picture for the smaller picture that was close at hand. Uh, for was right before their eyes. The Bible speaks to us in the Old Testament in 1 Kings that there is a widow of Zarephath who initially cannot get beyond having just a handful of meal and a little oil in a cruise, especially when there's a man of God that comes to town has been commanded, go down to the woman at Zarephath and she will sustain you. And as he happens upon her property, she's gathering a few sticks, she and her son, she's gonna provide just a little meal for her and her son and she believes that they are going to die. By her own observation and the observation of her boy, they got just a handful of meal. They got just an oil that's in a cruise. And whenever she hears what the man of God is saying, she cannot seem to deny what she has observed. She cannot deny what she has seen. She cannot deny what she has heard because we are creatures that's limited by our observation. And our observation many times consists of what is close or near to us. But the man of God had tapped into the realm of the spirit. And the realm of the spirit was saying whenever that meal has been used, there's gonna be more meal there. And whenever that oil is consumed, there's gonna be more oil there. But I've come to understand today that in society and humanity, it's hard to see the God picture in spite of our own observation. Likewise, we'd read in New Testament scripture a servant that would come to a man by the name of Jairus who's already arrested the attention of the Lord and said, Lord, I need you to come to my house because my daughter that is 12 years old is dying. And the Lord begins his trip in way only to have a divine delay in his schedule with a woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years. And while the, the crowd is pressing and thronging around him, a servant of Jairus came to him and spoke to Jairus Jarius, your daughter's condition has progressed to a little bit worse. She was dying, but she is now dead. Trouble not the master. Yet upon Jesus hearing this, he says, wait a minute. It's no trouble. She's going to live. The servant that was there in the room that seen life expiring from this child must have been a little 
conflicted with what Jesus had said. I could hear him say, sir, I was there when she gave her last breath. Sir, I was there when her eyes closed for the last time. I seen the dead corpse. I heard the silence of no more respiration and no more palpitation of the heart. She is dead, but we have the problem of somehow being swallowed by our close observation when there's a bigger picture, a larger command in force, and it's God. Someone say amen. I dare to say this morning there may have been some people that have dragged their carcass into this Sunday morning service and they've come in here limited by what they could see and limited by what they could hear. Some may have entered this place with some doctor's reports that they can see and that they have heard and that's their observation. Others may be held hostage this morning by what's happening in their life, their circumstances, their surroundings because they're close to them. That's what they see and that's what they hear. The only news we hear is the bad news. It's close to us. It's near to us. Amen. It's all around us. So near, so present. And we begin to interpret our life by our observations. Someone say amen. Oh, someone say hallelujah. But in spite of our observations, just as it was for Elijah and his servant, somewhere God has men like this, servants like this, people like this, that are looking and hearing for something that's a little distant, that yet may be a little while in the future, that is no indication of what's presently taking place. Because by all observation, Elijah could say, we're in a drought. By all observation, the servant could say there's death on every hand and death is even close to us. There's dry riverbeds, there's dead livestock, there's wilted vegetation, there's rotting corpse on the ground, there's fresh graves that have been dug, amen. All of this stuff is littering the land. This is my observation. But there's a question from heaven saying, what's in the distance? What's in the future? What's just over yonder? Someone say yes. And whenever Elijah tapped into something that was beyond where he was at. When Elijah tapped into something that was beyond where he was at, he said, I tell you what, servant, I hear something like I haven't heard in a long time. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain that went against his close near observation, but he was tapping into a distant future. Really not all that distant. What did he say then? Servant. He says go up to the mountain. Servant go seven times if you got to. What do you see? I don't see anything. What do you see? I don't see anything. You know what? I believe sometimes God is doing that to us in a sense. And we tell him we don't see no change because we're still caught up in our observation. What's close to us? This is saying it can't be done. This is saying it's not going to be healed. This is saying the diagnosis is bad. This is saying you don't have enough money in the bank to take care of the bills that's on the table. Oh, my observation is this. But he's saying go back and look again. Go back and look again. Go back and look again. And when he went the seventh time, he said, wait a minute. I see something. It's not something close. But out over the sea in the distance, there is a cloud the size as a man's hand that's coming out of the water oh. 
We're held captives by what we can observe close to us, by what's happening in the now without taking into consideration the God that's already in the then. Though Job never charged God foolishly, and he had rightly surmised his circumstances in saying, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and then not evil also? Rightly surmised that. Yet of the 42 chapters that are in Job, for the most majority of them, if you will, he's toiling for the most part with his observation. For the majority of that chapter, He's toiling with, where is God at? Have I become his enemy? I just defile my horn in the dust. He was dealing with the boils that was upon his body. He was dealing with the vacancies that are now in his family. He's dealing with the loss, if you will, of home and the loss of status, the reality of erect health. He's dealing with what he could see and what he could hear that was in close proximity to him. He was toiling for chapters upon chapters with his observation. In so much one chapter, I think chapter 19 in particular, speaks how he felt estranged from everyone and everything. He spoke that his brethren were far off. He spoke that his acquaintances were estranged. His kinfolk had failed him. His familiar friends had forgotten him. The maids of his house were alien to him. His servants ignored him. And even his close mate, his wife, was strange to him. I say it like this, Job felt forgotten by God. God, I'm perfect. I'm upright before you. But you're treating me like your enemy. Surely I've been forgotten by God. Has anybody here honestly ever in your walk and relationship with the Lord felt like You've been forgotten by God, overlooked by God. Sometimes you've maybe even felt blatantly ignored by God. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, in Zechariah, by all observations of the things that were near, we might say, this is exactly how and what Israel felt. Israel was seeing, Israel was hearing defeat as a result of what they could observe, their circumstances. A little background in history, Jerusalem and its temple as the Israelites returned back to Jerusalem had lain in ruins for nearly 70 years as Jeremiah had foretold. Cyrus, King Cyrus had just currently not too long ago, many years ago, freed the captives to resettle in their homeland of Jerusalem. And that first journey home, about 50,000 returned from Babylonian captivity. And they immediately began to rebuild the temple. But due to opposition from outsiders and other circumstances, amen, they stopped and they halted their work. And about 16 years later, the prophet Haggai stirs the people up 
to once again start building and rebuilding again the temple. And only about two months after Haggai voiced that, Zechariah stands up in the book of Zechariah and he affirms to the people, you must, you must continue. Zechariah is the Old Testament Barnabas. He is the son of consolation. Zechariah is the Old Testament encourager, the one that is there to encourage the people because these people that have been in bondage for 70 years are still downtrodden in their spirits by the powers that be. These people, amen, although they're supposedly free, they're still captives in their minds. They're still captive in their souls and in their memory. They're very doubtful people. Some of them, such as Zechariah, had only known captivity they've not known anything else for they're a very doubtful people and though history would tell us that Israel would be established again the land would be established again and it would take about a a good hundred years for that to really take place all along that journey she would never be without strong opposition against her enemies breathing down her neck on every side and Israel now is without a marshaled army They don't have a host that can go out to battle. And so they're feeling very doubtful. They're feeling their strength is gone. They're feeling abandoned. And for that matter, by all observation of what they could see and what they could hear, she felt forgotten. But God raises a Zechariah for an encouragement during this time. Born in captivity, but he's seen constantly throughout the book of Zechariah, constantly reassuring God's people about future blessings. You read the book of Zechariah, and Zechariah doesn't do a whole lot of talking about the present. He doesn't do a whole lot of talking about the then and now, but he's speaking in a futuristic tense. He's speaking about in the future, the blessings of the future. Amen. Much of what he writes about, it's not about what's now, but what is going to be then. And he writes in the scripture, there's a lot of prophetic things that are in Zechariah. He speaks about that first coming of Jesus Christ when he was crowned with thorns, but he doesn't leave it there. He speaks about his second coming when he's crowned as king. He's reassuring the hearts of the people. And so throughout the book of Zechariah, the theme of the book of Zechariah can be remembered by the three Hebrew meanings of the names in verse one. Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, the prophet. Zechariah means whom the Lord remembers. Berechiah means the Lord blesses. Idu means at the appointed time. The theme of Zechariah to a people that feel forgotten and forsaken and overwhelmed by their observation is this, whom the Lord remembers, the Lord blesses at his appointed time.
Some of us today, like David, though we may have not said it with our lips, we have done as he had oftentimes and have pondered it in our hearts. God has forgotten me. If you've never said it, you've thought it. If you've never said it, you've entertained it in your mind. David said, God has forgotten me in his heart and mind. He said, he forgot me like a dead man because the preacher said when a man dies, the memory of him is forgotten. Amen. He says, he's forgotten me like a broken vessel. He's just totally forgotten me. We've all at some time have felt that, experienced that, and maybe even thinking or experiencing that even now this morning. God has forgotten me. See, we, 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 we tumble around with terminology sometimes in Scripture that if God has spoken of remembering that he must be capable of forgetting. God forgot me. The Bible says in Isaiah 49, in verse 14, but Zion, everyone say but Zion. Old Testament symbolism of New Testament church. The church said the Lord, this is their opinion, the Lord hath forsaken me. And my Lord hath forgot. I always get great comfort from Scripture. When I find out what I'm feeling, I'm not standing alone in. That people several hundreds of years removed from me, thousands at that, had the same feelings. It does me really good to read that in God's Word. But here is Zion, amen, the symbol of the church, saying that the Lord hath forgotten them and that the Lord had forsaken them. But it goes on in verse 15. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Can a woman that is actually uh, in a mode of she's nursing her child, can she forget him? Now, my wife nursed both of our kids. And I remember that quite well because there was very little sleep in between one when the feeding ended before it started again. And Sister McGee, you can correct me, but I remember sometimes there just being a lapse of minutes, being like 45 minutes or so, in between ending time and starting time. You didn't wake up without bags under your eyes. Child's there, and, it, and sometimes, you know, they're a little more eager to feed, and other times they want to smell the tulips as they're feeding and you know they're just it's like somebody that has a glass of water it takes all day to drink it you know they just kind of sip on it here and there and and, and so you and they're saying can, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on it and and it says that they may forget yet we live in a society that people just totally discard their young as though they never had a child so I guess there is a possibility it said they they may forget but emphatically stated yet will I not Forget thee. God's saying this. He says, I don't forget you. When you, by your observation, feel like you've been forgotten, rest assured, God doesn't forget you. When circumstances, what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, when the report, when the fight, when all of that's speaking to me, I got to rest assured that God already emphatically said, I do not forget you. Now look, 
this from years ago, and maybe several already know this, but just to reiterate today for purposes of the message, he said, behold, I've graven thee upon the palms of my hands. It was custom for Eastern women in particular that whenever their boys would go to war, they would put a mark on their hands because they were very industrious with their hands. Women were always at the meal, always doing something, a lot of activity that went on with their hands. And so when their kid went off to war, they would put some type of mark or reminder to rem on their hands. So as they're being industrious with their hands and working and creating and, and making, that they would see that mark. You know what that mark was? I got a son. He's not presently here, but he is, he is somewhere. God said, hey, I put you on the palm of my hands. And, and I know that he's not a lady, but he has a reminder too because there were nail scars that were placed in both of his hands. He's not going to forget you. If I say it like this, it's impossible for God to forget you. In Luke 12 and verse 6, Jesus is speaking. And he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them, everybody say, forgotten, is forgotten before God, if I can skip down to verse number eight or seven, rather, the second sentence there. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Listen to me. In Jesus' day and custom, two sparrows could be purchased for a farthing, which is a very low diminutive amount of money. Two sparrows could be bought for a farthing. But here in Scripture, five sparrows, listen to me now, are being purchased for the price of two farthings. Two sparrows are for a farthing, and they're selling five for two. It would seem to reason I could get two sparrows for a farthing and four sparrows for two farthings. But I'm getting five for two farthings. The reason being, listen to me, the extra sparrow was thrown in because it was considered by modern society to be so worthless that it had no value, that there really wasn't a loss in the exchange. Just throwing in an extra sparrow. But Jesus, through his words, I'm not forgetting the sparrow. Whew. What's he talking about in particular? The one extra that was thrown in because it's just really no worth or value anyway. Jesus was saying, it does not matter how worthless you may be or you may think you are. Doesn't matter how devalued that life may have served you and you believe you are, I'm still not going to forget you. 
I feel this morning there's people that's drugged themselves in here with a low sense of worth. They've been devalued by the world, told that they're worthless. But I come to tell you today, there's a God in heaven that not one time has overlooked you, not one time has forgotten you, not one time has ignored you. Hallelujah. Someone say hallelujah. Not one is forgotten by God. Everyone matters. All your circumstances matter. All your observations that you digest to be horrible matters to God. And scripture says that God remembered Listen to me, because it states that oft times. When Scripture says that God remembered, you can already discount and note well. It's not because God forgot. Listen to me. Remembering for God is not like our remembering. You know, sometimes we want to pull God down to, to relate to us. Bad idea. If you're trying to somehow digest uh, the power and the majesty of God based upon the greatest power and majesty of this world, forget it. No comparison. And so sometimes we use terms to, well, God remembers, he remembers like I remember it. Wrong. Whenever I remember, I'm trying to recall something I forgot. I'm telling you right now. Go to the refrigerator, open it up. Now, what was I here for? My wife tells me what to go pick up through the drive-thru, and I'm calling her back, honey, what was that again? What I'm, trying to, I'm trying to recall what I forgot. Not so with God. When Scripture states that God is remembering or that He remembered, He's not trying to recall something that He forgot. But when God remembers, it is in the sense of God taking action on His promises. When you see in scripture that God remembers, he's not recalling what he's forgotten, but he's on the verge of taking action on what he's promised. Because while the waters still covered the earth and the ark was at the mercy of the flood, the Bible says that God remembered Noah. He wasn't recalling to memory something he forgot. No, he was letting Noah know, I'm on the verge of acting on my promise. Whenever Sodom and Gomorrah were on the brink of being destroyed by fire and brimstone, the Bible says God remembered Abraham and spared Lot and his family. He wasn't recalling something he'd forgotten. He was about ready to act on his promise. When Rachel wanted to bear children but could not, we need to remember that the Bible says God remembered Rachel and she conceived. He not forgot about it. He was just about ready to act on it. Some would say amen. 400 years of bondage. Everybody say 400. 400 years of bondage, generation after generation that have been slaves under hard taskmasters and under turmoil that had cried, the scripture said many times, to 
God concerning their circumstance. Don't you think for a moment they thought they were forgotten? Don't you think for a moment after their heritage had told them God's going to do something about it that the present generation after hearing that for years didn't think that God had forgotten them but the Bible says while they're there bearing their heavy burden and bondages upon them they have the rigor of their labor the Bible says in Exodus God remembered his covenant with their forefathers Abraham and Isaac and Jacob God had not forgotten anything he's on the verge of acting God remembers. He's not forgotten. He's acting. Hannah, on returning home from a season of worship, still taunted by the intimidating bareness that she has in her body, she goes home and she knew Elkanah, her husband, but that happened several times. But at this juncture in the road, the Bible says God remembered Hannah. It's not he wrote her off all the other times she went to know her husband. It was just that at this moment, he's about ready to do something. In Scripture, the Bible speaks of God remembering his covenant, remembering mercy remembering truth remembering holy promises if it's speaking of God remembering truth that would be like him forgetting himself God's not forgetting his covenant and he's not forgetting mercy and he's not forgetting truth Amen. He's not forgetting his holy promises. But if God's remembering, God's about ready to act through his mercy, act through his truth, and about ready to fulfill a promise. So God remembers in the sense of taking action on his promise. That's the reason Zechariah wanted to come with his words of encouragement to a people that before, generations before them had ever left Israel, God had already told them, you're going to come back and you're going to inhabit this land and you're going to build some homes and you're going to have vegetables and you're going to have fruit that's going to come from this land. What are you doing, Zechariah? All these people think that God's forgotten them. But I'm telling them with my own name and that of my heritage and ancestry that whom the Lord remembers, the Lord will bless at his appointed time. He never forgot them, but he's just about right now to fulfill what he spoke years ago. That's the reason why in the New Testament, whenever you see the penitent thief that is on the cross, that he looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The issue wasn't being forgotten by God. Rather, that penitent thief desired that God would...
take action on his promise to him. So Zechariah, here he is. He's supporting all the people with his words. Assuring them they've not been forgotten. Interesting enough, his words would very soon be the only lingering voice that those people would hear. There'd be a time of 400 years that there was no open vision or word or prophecy spoken. And it would be the lingering words of Zacharias that would be yet lingering in their ears. The promise, if you will, of God acting carried them through those times of what seemed to be like inaction. You know something awesome about God that whenever God's, you know, we speak and there's a period and it's the end of it. But whenever God speaks, you have eternity speaking eternal things. You know what amazes me? That there are scientists out there and they're going further and further in our universe and they're still yet discovering things. Now listen to me. Take whatever side you want on this, that they're just getting to a place to discover them or the creative word of God that was in Genesis is still creating some things. These worlds are even framed by the word. The reason why it is intact as it is is because his words brought all this about and they're eternal so they sustain it. <laughs> A lingering word from the Lord even in the times when I'm not hearing no fresh word, there's still a word that was spoken aforetime in existence because his words are eternal. Someone hearing me right now? That if I don't have a right now today word from God, that's all right. I can open up my archive of when he's spoken times past and that word's not died or diminished. It's still thriving and doing and going. And so here is the Israelites, they're, they're opposed, they're without an army. Man, Zechariah, God sent the right man, Zechariah, to be letting them know that God remembered. God was on the verge of acting. Because three times in verse number three of Zechariah 1 and 3, three times there in that verse, amen, Zechariah refers to the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts with purpose. You don't see the terminology of the Lord of hosts in the first five books of the Old Testament. You don't see it really until we get to somewhere around 1 Samuel, that terminology, the Lord of hosts. Uh, because it's whenever that nation was changing from a theocracy of being God ordered to a monarch, having a king over them. And so now, now they have regiments and they have armies and marshaled uh, people that are fighters and they're counting how many able-bodied men that they have. And they grew very dependent upon them. But right now, Israel is in a position... They've been in captivity for 70 years. They come back home. They're trying to do something. Their observation, though, is saying it's very bleak. There's opposition on every side, and they don't have an army to fight with. But Zechariah says, you're God, the Lord of hosts. You look through the scripture, host, there's hosts of stars. There's hosts of angels. There's hosts of armies, of men. Zechariah was speaking something to those people. Your God, he's the Lord of hosts. He's the master of the universe. He has stars, angels, and men in his Calvary. Uh -huh. I know you don't see that you have a formidable army, but that's all right. You're the servant to the master, and he has an army. He's not forgotten you. 
If you'll stand with me this morning, I want to close with these words. So they have the lingering voice of Zechariah. I don't know. This is totally supposition. This is totally just using my imagination. Biggest nation in the world, they say. Can you imagine, though, during 400 years when there's no open vision, no open voice, all that, people, as we do, hopefully, try to comfort one another. Zechariah was a very common name in Scripture. There are some 30 Zacharias that are listed in Scripture. Whenever we see this, can you imagine someone comforting another and saying, well, you know what Zechariah said. Well, yeah, which 20-some-odd would you like to refer to? You know, like us having a bunch of people here named in the same name, and I just name out the first name, and everybody's like, huh? Yeah. I can see them getting a little more descriptive. You know, like Zechariah, the son of of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, said. Because in the sense of the repetition of that genealogy is coming that fresh promise again and again. Who the Lord remembers, the Lord blesses at his appointed time. What do you, what do you, what's going on whenever you say that, when you're saying, you remember what he said, what, 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 what? Who the Lord remembers, the Lord blesses. At his, what are you saying? You're not forgotten. You're not forgotten. Observation tells you that you don't have an upper hand. Observation tells you what you see and what you hear, that it's bleak and there is no hope. But understand well, God doesn't forget. And if his eye and concern is to not forget even what was considered in his day a devalued and worthless sparrow, God has you in mind this morning. Hallelujah. If we bow our heads all across this place today, Hallelujah, hallelujah. If there's anybody here that's walking to this place this morning, you've walked in with an observation of life, and life is telling you your present circumstances and situations are telling you, Pastor McGee, there's no hope. Pastor McGee, there's something that's telling me, well, it can't be done. It won't happen. There's no opportunity for change. Coming in with maybe feelings in yourself and you don't have to feel like you're alone because I've been there at times. God has forgotten me. God has winked. God has overlooked. God has ignored. Take your assurance from Scripture today that God hasn't nor will he ever forget you. God hasn't nor will he ever forget you. Setting with your diagnosis, God's not forgotten you. Setting you with all the calamity, perhaps, of the lack of finances. God has not forgotten you. He's going to remember. And that's not a testament saying that he's forgotten. That's just saying he's on the verge of acting. He's on the verge of fulfilling a promise. I believe that God is here today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.